G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 21 Review Edition, or almost uh, Round 21 Review, of course. One game still to come on Monday evening in Perth, and a big game that is too, because after a dramatic weekend of upsets, Melbourne can jump from fourth to first on the ladder with a win in Perth against West Coast. And, of course, the Eagles got to keep winning too to ensure their final spot. So massive stakes in that last game of Round 21 Monday evening. But we are a Sunday night review show, and that's what we're going to do, review eight games within an inch of their lives and a couple of fine little rants to finish off this program as well. Massive weekend of footy, though, with the upsets, uh, controversial incidents, significant injuries. Uh, a lot happened, Finey. A lot happened and a lot didn't happen for one particular tipster. But um, <laughs> I guess when you're chasing tail and you're faced with some of the biggest upsets of the season, that is likely to happen. Dare, Look, dare you concede to our audience how many tips you have from eight games thus far? I'd, I'd say zero because the only <laughs> game I've got is Port Adelaide versus Adelaide. And that was a uh, sort of a victory in name only. <laughs> I thought Adelaide were the better team. Should I tell you that uh, well, I've, I'm not exactly cruising. I've got four from eight, but that has increased my lead over you, to, I think, now to 36 over the yeah, that, course of the season. No, it's yeah, not. that's very... That's it's very bit, funny, right? It's about nine or ten. Uh, but <laughs> a huge weekend. What about the upsets? It's so unpredictable form at the moment, isn't it? It's completely thrown out the window. But most importantly, when you're when we look at what teams face in the last two rounds, please don't make the mistake, anybody, of saying that a team has got an easy draw. Because I, I really believe there are no easy draws out there. You know, just because you're facing a team like North Melbourne, Hawthorne, Gold Coast, and on the ladder, that may look like an easy game. Surely we've learnt one thing, and that is that there is no gimmies in this season. Of course, this podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. I've got one easy draw for you, Finey, and that is this that when you walk into a certain hamburger establishment, you know that you are up against the absolute best in the field and it's going to be a very difficult contest. The upside, of course, is that you will win. You will always win when you get your hamburgers from where? Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Uh, consistency might not be a byword for any AFL team, but it is for the best burger place in town. One of their great 
in fact, just about the greatest quality of Andrews hamburgers beyond the magnificence of their burgers themselves is consistency. I know when I go in there, I'm going to get that magnificent bite that had me drooling since my last visit. That's consistency. And when it comes to building houses, you're looking for innovation. Maybe consistency isn't a byword. You're looking for cutting edge, the latest innovations, something new, something to turn your friends and neighbours green with envy. Yeah, that's right. Make them turn their heads and say, I wish I had a West Point property build. Nick Spartels and the team are head turners. They're the best in the business, Rowan. I know that. I'll tell you who else is the best in the business and absolutely a byword for consistency. And one thing you certainly want consistency with is statistics. Well, these guys will give them to you. Stats Insider, the best sports data analysts in the business. They work across a range of more than 15 global sports. I think we can call ours global, why not? And they will um, sample an event 10,000 times to give you the best range of probable and possible outcomes. They know their stuff. There's a lot of great reading on the Stats Insider site too. Some of the finest independent journalism in this country. So check it out at statsinsider.com.au and give them a follow on Twitter at Stats Insider. Okay, we have a heap to get through in an eventful weekend. Let's get stuck right in. On Footyology, wrap around. Round 21 kicked off Friday evening down at GMHBA Stadium. Important game in terms of the composition of the eight and one of the upsets of the season thus far, it's fair to say. A fantastic 19-point win to the Giants. An undermanned Giants outfit. A real plucky performance, this. The final scores, 13 goals, 6 GWS, 84, defeating the inaccurate Cats, 8-17-65. They came with a rush at the end after being at one stage 38 points down, but 3-7 in the last quarter and a couple of very costly misses. Jordan Clark, one of them, and uh, more on that later. The goal kickers for the Giants, Toby Green, that man again, four goals. However, the downside, of course, a two-game penalty handed him subsequently by the match review officer for a controversial uh, forearm to the throat of Patrick Dangerfield, that being challenged by the Giants at the tribunal. So we'll see what happens there. Four to Green, two to Brown, two to Taranto, two to Himmelberg, singles to Buntine, Sproul and Brune. For the Cats, two to Henry, two to Radagalia, singles to Collajasny, Blitzarves, Hawkins and Tui. Well, the Giants, after the Cats kicked the first goal, got off to a great start here, Finey. And the Cats left in their wake for much of this game, really determined showing by the Giants. We thought the Cats would come with the rush at some stage and they did but not to be the Giants holding on brilliantly and a really important win for them, which uh, put them back at least temporarily in the top eight. What'd you make of this game? Well, actually that first goal was quite telling. It was by Jake Collard-Jasney, his first goal in 127 games for the Cats, but that would be a bit of important for things to come, wouldn't it, Rowan? Because that non-functional forward line of Geelong's relied on defenders 
to keep the scoreboard ticking over. There were goals to Blitzars, Stewart, Henry, a couple of goals drifting forward, um, even Zach Tui. So ultimately, that's where the blame has to fall. Do we call it blame or do we call it credit? Because Sam Taylor has put in one of the great defensive games of the season. He can rank right up there with the best of the fullbacks this year. I wonder, given that he's missed the sort of meat of the season with injury, whether he could be considered for All-Australian. He was brilliant before he got injured, Rowan, and brilliant afterwards. And I wonder what the least number of games a player has played to make the All-Australian team. Because for mine, with Harris Andrews's uh, crown slipping a bit, he's clearly the best fullback in the competition. Anyhow, back to the game. And what a plucky effort by the Giants. Given that their midfield was down, I thought Tim Taranto's effort was just brilliant, really holding the fort and some, and kicking a couple of goals. And I guess when you rank midfielders at the Giants, where does Taranto sit? Not high enough, I reckon. He might be the best. What do you, what do you say? Uh, he's, he's incredibly consistent. In fact, I mean, the whole game really is appointed to the riches that they have. And we've talked a lot in the last couple of years about how their stocks of talent aren't what they were. But, boy, the big guns stood up. Uh, Isaac Cumming, another one, 34 disposals. But in the midfield, Taranto, Whitfield sweeping off halfback. He had 34 touches. Callum Ward, important too, with 24. And all this, of course, without... Um, Josh Kelly, who was a late withdrawal. So um, the fact that they've done this so well without such key players in the side, I think 18 players on their injury list and they had to make eight changes to the previous week. So the key number here, just in terms of the relative desperation of both sides, very telling stat, this one. The Giants won the contested ball by 18. It was 136 to 154 Geelong had won the contested possession count in their previous 15 games. So the first time they've been knocked off in that stat and it proved very, very telling because uh, the Giants were first to it and generally the harder team for most of the evening. Look, one thing I would say, with Geelong not being able to keep up those contested numbers, I admit this, Reed Geelong, or I, I say this, Reed Geelong, people might, might lean towards this tendency to say, look, if they're not controlling the ball, they're not winning the game. But they did go to a different style of game in the last quarter where, of course, the scoreboard demanded that they play less possession football and more direct football. And it was really only the fact that they were so poor in front of goal, Jordan Clark's miss, which I'm sure you'll expand upon, but other opportunities going forward. And uh, Reece Stanley missed a shot early in the quarter. Max Holmes a shot late in the quarter. And a couple of other real fumbled opportunities going forward. So I'm, I, I would say this, that Geelong has a game plan that can change during the game and can be successful. This time it didn't work, mainly because they blew it off their own foot. All right, a couple of quick observations about both teams. I would argue two things, Fonny. One, for the Cats, I'm not that fussed by this loss. Yes, they don't lose often at home. Yes, they perhaps were found wanting for a bit of outside run, but that was without Isaac Smith. And we've got to take into account the in-game injuries that cost them Dangerfield for basically the whole game and Zach Tui <coughs> at an important part of the game. But... We're very quick to, or people are very quick to raise doubts about the Cats whenever they drop one. 
had won 11 of their last 12. I'm not fretting about them yet. The other point I'd make is I think of all the teams contending for the last couple of spots in the eight, or let's say last spot in the eight, I'm pretty confident West Coast will get there still. Um, I think the Giants have clearly the most talented lineup. The if about them has been, of course, their consistency. But if they all play to their maximum, all those sides in contention, I think the Giants are best equipped to take it up to some other teams in the eight. What do you think? I agree with your take on the Giants. So a tick there. With the Cats, yes, I do agree. A couple of caveats. That is hamstring injuries to Zach Tui. We know that Mitch Duncan is out. Gary Rowan injures some soft tissue during the game. There is a threshold for the Cats, and they might be sort of testing that. And the other thing, very disappointing games by Narkel and Parfit. If they want that outside run, they need those two players, but not in the form they showed on Friday night. Yep, agree entirely. Next week, well, the Cats have got another game on their uh, back, their GMHBA backyard against your Saints, Finey. So nice run home for them. Uh, and the Giants, well, this is a de facto final, two rounds out from the finals. The Giants scheduled to play Richmond at Giants Stadium and uh, loser of that one, you'd think in grave danger of missing out on the top eight. So huge stakes for the Giants next week and important for the Cats too if they want to preserve that place up the top of the ladder. All right, that was Friday evening. Let's move to Saturday. The first game on Saturday afternoon played at Marvel Stadium. No crowd there, of course, in these locked-down times in Melbourne. Saw Carlton taking on Gold Coast. Well, how do you read form this season? Because uh, the Blues, very impressive in their previous outing. Gold Coast couldn't have been more insipid at this same venue. However, the Suns. Turned it on again. One of their better performances for some time. The result, that they won this game and effectively knocked Carlton out of the race for a final spot. 19 points, the margin in the end. The final scores, Gold Coast 11-10-76, defeating the Blues 8-9-57. The goal kickers for the Suns, two to Miller, two to Townsend, playing his first game. For the club, singles to Ellis, Jeffrey, Sexton, Fiorini, Smith, Corbett and Powell. For the Blues, two to Honey, singles the rest. Charlie Curnow, Betts, Silvani, Martin, Ed Curnow and Mackay. Well, all over for the Blues, finally. What a disappointing way for it to finish. They had the lead for, uh, well, more than half of this game, but the Suns just worked their way on top of them and uh, really dominated play in that last quarter when they managed four goals to the Blues, two to run out 19-point winners. What would you make of this? Well, Carlton certainly fluffed their lines, didn't they? You would have thought after that good win against St Kilda and the way the results went for them last week, a real opportunity to sneak into the eight. Where did it go wrong for them? But let's start with Took Miller. I mean, clearly in all Australian form, 
up against a midfield boasting Sam Walsh, Patrick Cripps. And he really led the show, didn't he? He was fantastic, I thought. Just All give day. you his stats quickly. 34 disposals. He also had seven clearances and four tackles. Thank you. Really good game. I guess Carlton's uh, plan backfired a little bit. What did you make of them going into the game with Jack Silvani as their first ruckman? Well, yeah, not, uh, <laughs> not a plan you'd uh, take into long-term uh, assignments, that's for sure. And, uh, yeah, showing up, I think. Um, look, I, I, I didn't mind, uh, again, seeing the duo of Charlie Curnow and Mackay together. A couple of beautiful little touches from Charlie Curnow, which make you think, well, if he can stay fit, there's some possibilities there. But for me, with the Blues, it wasn't so much about structure as, again... <laughs> about attitude, which was sadly found wanting. It was. Look, part of their problem, last week against St Kilda, interestingly, St Kilda employed what could best be described as a zone defence against them, and that gave Carlton's forwards too much room to move. Gold Coast must have taken notes because they played strict man-on-man and Carlton weren't able to shrug the tags. You know, full credit to that back line and, We've been singing the praises of the likes of Lacocious and Powell throughout the season. And didn't Powell do well getting up forward and kicking one of the goals of the year to put a final seal on the game? So well done him. But I thought that they were very um, sort of wedded to the task of first and foremost, making sure that their man did not have an easy afternoon. So Gold Coast were conscientious. Carlton, on the other hand, seemed to be frustrated out of their best football. And that's disappointing. You've got a guy like Eddie Betts up forwards and everybody loves Eddie. But when it takes him a half to touch the ball, you're really playing on the back foot. Harry Mackay, nowhere near his best self. And as you said, that beautiful curling goal by Curnow, I think Carlton's first, as good as it was in context of the game and the season, not enough even from that young man who deserves every right, by the way, to play his way back into league football. What do we think uh, this means for David Teague? I mean, it's been quite ridiculous. They can't perform well and we say, well, he's got to get another chance. And then they have a loss like they did to North Melbourne. Now this one, are we just going to play this game totally every week, dependent upon whether the Blues win or lose? Do you think this one sealed his fate or where do you think he's at? I really hope his fate was sealed last week, Rowan. And it should be, as you said, to yo-yo on week-to-week results is so unfair for a coach. How can you possibly expect a coach to put any forward plans into action when he's living and dying on the results of that particular weekend? Now, I hope that Carlton show the wisdom that they didn't show around the time of Brett Ratton's sacking and have already made the decision to go forward with David Teague. And a quick word on the Sun. Seven wins now for the season. Uh, their best performance since 2014. Are we more confident now about Stuart Dew's future? Yeah, again, I think Stuart Dew's future was positively set in stone with that great win over Richmond at the venue that they've just beat Carlton. I, I'll say this about them. That midfield with Took Miller, obviously Raoul, needs that full pre-season and a good run at it during the season, same with Noah Anderson, is not far off being a competitive unit. Add a Ruckman to it, how unlucky, really, when you consider that here's a side that 
has a, a very good first ruckman in Jared Witts, really a leader at the club, not play all season. You consider yourself pretty unlucky, wouldn't you? So hopefully he'll be right next year or a suitable substitute. Hold on to Ben King. Sam Day's future far less assured. A back line that looks pretty impressive. And I think there's something to work with. Well, uh, they could have something else to work with next week too. They've got Essendon at Metricon Stadium. So uh, they'd go in for that, into that one with reasonable hope and expectation. I think the Blues... They uh, won't be playing at Metricon Stadium, though. Uh, no, they won't, will they? Sorry. So I shouldn't have said that. Of course, all those games we're telling you about next week uh, to be confirmed. And the other one, uh, Blues, they are scheduled to travel to Adelaide to play Port Adelaide. So it doesn't get any easier for them. All right, that was the first game on Saturday. There was a twilight game at the MCG. <laughs> Richmond took on North Melbourne at 4.35pm. A great start by the Roos, holding the Tigers goalless and to just one goal until literally... The siren sounded for half-time when Jack Rewalt nailed one on the siren to get the Tigers back within at least 20 points. Would that be a sign of things to come? Well, yes, as it turned out, because the Tigers put on a pretty impressive performance in the second half, in which they rattled on 11 goals after just two and a half of footy to North Melbourne's uh, just three goals in the second quarter. And a final margin of victory for Richmond by 33 points, keeping themselves very much alive in the race for the finals. The final scores, Tigers 13-11-89, defeating the Roos 8-8-56. The goal kickers, two to Edwards, two to Coleman-Jones, two to Rewalt, two to Baker. Singles to Bolton, Parker, Ralph Smith, Prestia and... In his senior debut, Morris Rioli Jr. Wasn't it a treat to see a much younger Morris Rioli running around the MCG 40 years on from his old man. For the Roos, four to Zerha and singles to Larky, Scott, Taylor and Marnie. Well, Fanny, I've got to say, been waiting for it for, it, uh, for much of the last couple of months without luck. And at halftime yesterday, I thought, what was I thinking? Thinking Richmond was anything like the powerful side we've seen over the last few years. But we really got a taste of it in that second half. They applied the pressure, uh, chiefly in the area of shutting down North Melbourne's uncontested marks. They really put on that frontal pressure beautifully on the Ruse, who panicked a bit in defence. And uh, the result was quite a few turnover goals for the Tigers. That's the way they play their best footy. And you could see the confidence flooding back by the end. Impressive second half. Don't want to be too down on the roost. They've had a really good second half of the season. But that second half of Richmond, it's uh, making people wonder, uh, are they starting to come back? Yeah, I think it's a long way to come back from. And whilst it got them the four points against North Melbourne, uh, might get them a spot in the eight. Yes, I admit that next week's game against GWS really, uh, as you pointed out, a, a final prior to the finals. That'll tell the tale there. But I don't think it'll amount to much more than that. That being said, you did, as you say, get a view 
in, into the rear vision mirror, didn't you, of Richmond and how they went about their business for the last four years. They shouldn't have been in the position to do it, Rowan. Very much a case of make hay while the sun, shine. sun shines was not done by North Melbourne in the first half. And I really feel by half time they could have been off to the races. In that second quarter, at one stage, they had nine inside 50s to one and no goals to one goal. They really missed the opportunity to fix Richmond up good and proper. Larky, in particular, had a shot of goal that looked like it went straight through, touched by the man on the mark. Another one from 20 metres out, missed by a country mile. Marks almost taken, just spilled. A mark taken by him, a free kick given to Dan Curvis by an infraction sort of away from the marking contest or just off the marking contest, wasteful. And really, North Melbourne, had they dotted the I's and crossed the T's at half time, it could have been unassailable, Rowan. It could have. Uh, a, a, a few familiar faces and a few familiar signs in Richmond's second half revival. Nick Floston, I thought, was uh, a really good player for them. Ended up with 30 disposals, too, coming off half back. Jack Graham, I've sung his praises before, really underrated player, and he was terrific in this game. Ended up with 36 disposals. Uh, a couple of slightly bigger names, though, uh, well, literally in this case, Toby Nankervis got smashed for hitouts. Uh, the Tigers didn't uh, emerge on top from centre takeaways or clearances generally, but Nankervis's work around the ground and just his general aggressive demeanour was really valuable, and that was a welcome sort of uh, back to basics for the Tigers. And Dion Prestia. You're talking about a guy that won a best and fairest in a premiership year. He is so important to that side. He ended up with 29 disposals. And again, we saw the name Cochin in Richmond's best. That's a couple of decent games he's strung together now. So the importance for the next few weeks, if it, indeed it is to be more than a couple of weeks, are pretty good for the Tigers, I feel. If they can add to the number of former premiership players on the field and not suffer what they have throughout the year, which is a constant drain through injury, get over GWS, they make the finals. Are they good enough to win games during the finals to really have the other teams shaking in their boots? Of course they are. I wouldn't back them in to win another flag, but I do back this, this in. They'll have a few teams looking over their shoulders, won't they? Well, including one next week, as we said before, massive game for the Tigers next week and for their opponent. They are up against GWS. Uh, don't know where that game is going to be at this stage, originally scheduled for Giant Stadium. Pretty confident that won't be happening. And the Roos, they are scheduled to play Sydney at Marvel Stadium. All right, that was Saturday Twilight. We had two games on Saturday evening. Showdown number 50 in Adelaide. Adelaide playing Port Adelaide, those great bitter rivals. And uh, once again, they turned on. I wouldn't call it an epic because it was a pretty dour struggle for much of it, but certainly a gripping, tense and close finish and the victors in the end were the power taking their uh, advantage in the head-to-head -head scorecard between these two to two now 26 24 
the ongoing score in the showdown. So they had to come from behind to do it. They'd kick just one goal to half time and trail the Crows by just under three goals. But six goals to three in the second half. The final scores, Port Adelaide 7 13, 55, defeating the Crows 7 9 51. The goal kickers for the power, two to Butters. Singles to Dixon, Fantasia, Georgiades, Powell Pepper and Wines for the Crows. Two to McHenry and singles to Fogarty, Himmelberg, Keys, McKay and Lynch. And a couple of serious um, injuries or, or um, how should I say, impact injuries. Uh, pretty disturbing, both of them. Brody Smith copying an accidental knee to the head. He was taken off with concussion. And then some friendly fire knocked out poor Will Hamill and he was taken from the ground on a stretcher after a lengthy delay. They're certainly the superior side for a half of this game, Finey, but Port, to their credit, really dug deep, found something and uh, took charge in that last quarter. Goal to Fantasia, goal to Powell Pepper, uh, one to Dixon with uh, a few minutes left, giving him a 10-point break. Tom Lynch got one back for the Crows. But it was the power hanging on to win by four points and a crucial victory in terms of the top four might have set themselves up to stay in the top four and earn that double chance. Finally, tough game this one. I'm really glad that they ended up winning the game for one reason and one reason only. Because, first of all, I thought it was a very plucky effort by Adelaide and a poor performance by Port Adelaide when you consider that Brodie Smith and Will Hamill were off with the concussion rule either side of three-quarter time. That means that they were down one of their best players and then down a man numerically to almost win the game. Enormous effort. No Tex Walker. Port Adelaide should have made light work of Adelaide. Why am I happy, though, that they won it? Given that they are now almost guaranteed a spot in the top four and that position being fourth, I've always felt that when you finish on top in an 18-team competition, you deserve some spoils. And this year, I think the team that finishes on top has a real advantage because they will have a home state final against Port Adelaide. And unless Port Adelaide find a smarter way to combat tags like they did last night, they had Boak tagged by Keys, they had uh, Byrne Jones tagged by McKay, and both of those were successful tags unless they can overcome that defensive move by an opposition coach, unless they can find a more guaranteed way to goal. And obviously the reliance on Dixon is such that if he's not kicking goals, they're not kicking goals. Then the team that finishes on top of the ladder will enjoy a true advantage now rare in the common, in the modern game. So for mine, Port Adelaide, not good enough. Yeah, I must uh, tend to agree with you there. We need to uh, give some plaudits to Aaliyah Aaliyah, who was uh, absolutely superb in defence for the power. Uh, another impressive player, and he's been good for much of this season, Finey, is uh, Willem Drew. Willem whom? Willem Drew. Uh, it, he, it ruins it by saying whom, doesn't it? It does. Um he was a big plus for them. Riley Bonner, pretty reasonable for them as well. Uh, not so dominant in the midfield in this game, despite uh, those usual suspects having their share of touches. Yeah, I would think 
I'll tell you, one, pe- uh, one set of people who'd be pretty happy about this result are our mates at Stats Insider because they love this stat. That was the 19th uh, consecutive victory by Port Adelaide over a bottom eight team. So, again, very good, however narrowly, at winning the games they're supposed to. But I say, though, finally, you look at that performance overall as a marker against the very top teams in the competition and left a bit wanting, I think. They wouldn't get a whole heap of confidence uh, for the finals ahead out of that. Where do we think the Crows are at in terms of their rebuild? Spirited, wasn't it? I was really impressed by them. By the way, Rhea Lear, Lear, here, here. What a great game. Clear best on ground for mine. You know where, where there'll be some real confidence in terms of Matthew Nix and the squad going forward? Schoenberg, Jones. Yeah. yeah. These are players that he's, he's invested almost more faith in than the observer would think was warranted. But, of course, when you're coaching a club and you know the inner workings, uh, Schoenberg started his career as game but maybe um, underskilled. Now, he's actually using the ball, getting the ball, as well as becoming a real run and bustle tyro. So just as Port Adelaide love Ollie Wines, I think Adelaide are going to love Schoenberg in the future. Jones is another one that I think was given more opportunities than some of the pundits thought he deserved. But he's starting to return that faith as well. Yeah, look, things looking brighter than they were before, uh, well, at least the last couple of games of last year when they looked uh, years and years off the pace. Some positive signs, again, I think, in total this year for the Crows under Matthew Nix. I would say this, this, Rowan, the bottom of the ladder, the bottom four teams are looking more positive and we can say they they themselves would be more optimistic than I think we've had in living memory, and that's great for the comp. Yeah, couldn't agree more. In fact, I wrote something to that effect the other week uh, in terms of North Hawthorne, but you could certainly apply that as well to the Crows and uh, even to an extent with Gold Coast as well. Uh, Next week, Port Adelaide are scheduled to take on Carlton at home at Adelaide Oval, and the Crows, they are drawn to play Melbourne. That one's scheduled for the MCG. So you'd think at this stage, those two games will actually proceed at the venues they were originally drawn. All right, another game on Saturday evening in Melbourne. St Kilda took on Sydney Saturday evening, Marvel Stadium. Uh, No crowd, of course. Uh, Interesting game. Sydney have uh, had some good performances at this venue of late and St Kilda, despite the fact it is a home ground, have been anything but impressive. Just three wins from their 10 previous appearances at Marvel this season. Well, you can make that four from 11 now. And what about form this year, Finey? Of all these sides battling for a spot in the eight. What about the inconsistency? One week up, next week down. Your Saints pretty unimpressive against the Blues last week. Well, couldn't have been more impressive, particularly with their pressure in this 29-point win over the Swans. The final scores, St Kilda 14-9-93, defeating the Swans 10-4-64. The goal kickers, four to Jack Higgins, three to Dean Kent, two to King, two to Membry, two to Sharman and a single to Steele. For the Swans, two to Goulden, two to Dawson, two to Papley, 
two to Haywood, one each to Franklin and Florent. This is a cracking first quarter, five goals to the Saints, four to the Swans, really entertaining game to watch. But then the Saints, greater pressure, really started to take a toll. They were three goals up by halftime and basically maintained that advantage thereafter. Four goals to three in the third term, two each in the last, and a really good win to the Saints and a reminder of um, the fact that their best side, uh, so when I say best side, their best face, if you like, is pretty impressive. And, of course, one good enough to play finals last year. You would have been pretty happy with this one, Finey. Yeah, I've got to say, just as GWS... Uh, rightfully earning the plaudits of going out on the field with a, a side lacking a lot of stars and beating Geelong. When I look at this St Kilda team, and gee, given that the Sydney Swans had won their last five and they come into this game with Ben, uh, <laughs> with, pardon me, uh, Sam Reid and Lance Franklin, tall up forward, St Kilda had no Dougal Howard. So they had to put Callum Wilkie on... Lance Franklin, I thought it was a great game by Wilkie, and then rely on Derek Joyce and Tom Highmore to fill the other tall defensive spots. And you've got youngsters in the team like Leo Connolly, mid-season draft selection, Cooper Sharman, who I thought was very important when Ben King went off. Max the King. likes of... Pardon? Max King. Oh, sorry, yeah, Ron King. Now, I'm, I'm really into Ben at the moment, aren't I? When Max King went off. Then you've got uh, the likes of Leo Connolly, Ryan Burns. Um, in other words, a lot of youngsters, Jack Bytel coming on the field. I thought it was a very good effort by a young plucky St Gilda. And really, Sydney way off, weren't they? But I guess after five wins and they're down here encamped and not able to get back up to Sydney, a dip in form is not unexpected. But they really didn't fire a shot. And if anything, St Gilda could have won by more had they been a little bit more decisive in front of goal at the start of that last quarter where they missed a few chances. I will say this, though, if it was a game of poker, I know why St Kilda won, because three Jacks beat whatever Sydney had to offer. Jack Higgins, remember in the corresponding match earlier on in the season, it was his inaccuracy that cost St Kilda a win. Four beautiful goals by him, or three of them, the first three, great kicks. Jack Sinclair, out for a week with a hamstring injury, you always wonder exactly what's happening there because it's more than one week injury. Was brilliant off that half back line. He has had a fantastic year. And speaking of great years, another best on ground performance by Jack Steele, surely all Australian, and another one who might be worth a little look see in the Brownlow. Yeah, a costly loss for the Swans, uh, the death knell basically of their top four hopes. Um, given the. Would you say with that? the death knell of their premiership hopes? No, not necessarily. Uh, for a number of reasons, I, I was going to say, I think, uh, you know, the fact that they've done so well under such adversity, being away from home, whatever, indicates that they are probably capable of doing it the hard way. And the other one, of course, my old hobby horse, I don't think being a top four team counts for as much as it used to. Uh, when you remember, particularly last year's grand finalists both lost their qualifying finals and ended up having to do it the hard way. So, uh, no, I don't think that's the death knell for their flag hopes. Uh, and in some respects, might be a, a timely reminder of the standard you have to be at to uh, to get a win on the board every week in this competition. Uh, Rowan, what... you're going to have to choose 
I think you're going to have to choose between your two favourite children here. Uh, the Swans and the Tigers. Correct, because I think if the, I think if the Tigers make the eight, they're going to finish eighth. Well, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to have to. They're going to play Swans if finish fifth. Well, they're my two illegitimate children. What about the one I actually, you know, <laughs> Essendon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't don't worry about them. Uh, quick word before we wrap up this one on your Saints, because overall you still got to say a very disappointing season, but uh, still in there pitching for the eight with uh, with a decent chance. Do they deserve to be? Yeah, I mean, you know, when they deserve to be only by dint of the fact that, as you've pointed out, all the teams going for a spot in the eight are equally as sort of culpable and because none of them have been consistent. So, yeah, in that group, they're as bad or as good as the next team. I will say this. Come the end of the year, they've got some really interesting decisions to make because what has happened is a lot of players that weren't considered to be likely AFL footballers have put their hand up and said, yes, we are. Daniel McKenzie, Jimmy Webster, uh, Luke Dunstan. Add to that, I think Darren Joyce is actually quite a good defender. Now, these are guys that most people at the start of 2021 thought would have been clear to listings. I reckon St Kilda's got a list now of players that maybe can play on at AFL level. So they've got some tough decisions to make. It'll be an interesting off-season for them, more so than uh, a lot of their rivals, that's for sure. Uh, interesting weekend for them next week too, because, of course, they've got to go down to the Cattery. As for the Swans, they will be taking on North Melbourne at Marvel Stadium. Okay, they were the four games on Saturday. Three more to come on the Sunday. Let's have a chat about them. First game on the card on Sunday at the MCG. A traditional start time of 2.10pm. Almost brings tears to the eyes when you see that one. Hawthorne and Collingwood for a bit more tradition and uh, perhaps even a bit more recent tradition. That is a win to... The Hawks, very impressive win by 19 points over the Pies. The final scores, Hawthorne 15-7, 97, defeating Collingwood 12-6, 78. The goal kickers, three to Kaczynski for the Hawks, two to Moore, two to Howe. Singles to Lewis, Burgoyne, McAvoy, Nash, O'Meara, Scrimshaw, Warple and Mitchell. That is quite a lot of goal kickers. In fact, that is 11 for the Pies. Three to Ginevan, starting to make his presence felt, the kid. Two to Majacek, two to Elliott. Singles to Henry, McRae, Sidebottom, Cameron and Grundy. Well, um, real even to start this game. Finally, I thought the first 15, 20 minutes, uh, goal for goal. Hard to tell which side was dominant. Collingwood was absolutely dominating the centre square bounces early on, but uh, Hawthorne just grabbed a little ascendancy late in that first quarter and then basically went on with it. Four goals to one in the second term, uh, five each in the third quarter, but the Hawks still with a pretty decent five-goal lead at the final change and then goal for goal again pretty much in the last Collingwood making a little bit of ground late in the piece, but uh, two little too late and the Hawks pretty impressive recent form continues finally I thought uh, we've talked about the positive signs for the Hawks 
looking ahead to next season as they rebuild under Sam Mitchell. And uh, he was sitting on the bench today. He would have been very happy with what he saw from his new side. Happy, I think, is the byword, Roman. We're a happy team at Hawthorne. And that was not necessarily obviously going to be the case after a fortnight ago's eruptions at the club that saw Alistair Clarkson fall on his own sword or put his own thrust his own sword into himself and say this was the final year. We had some big personalities there steering the ship and we weren't quite sure how the players were going to react to all of that. Well, back-to-back wins suggest that they're quite comfortable with the succession plan as will be played out. The midfield dominance for mine was where Hawthorne wins this game and it probably read that way prior to the game and it certainly played out. 44 possessions to Mitchell was clearly the best on the ground, one of the best performances of the season. Jay Gromira has shown some pretty good form in recent weeks, coming back from injury. And also Chad Wingard playing some of his best football in the brown and gold. And throw in the likes of Blake Hardwick, Connor Nash, and I know a player that you're a big fan for, young Bramble. And you've got plenty of ball-winning ability that was pretty well used as well giving the likes of Koshitsky the opportunity to kick three goals and some good service up forward. So plenty of encouragement there with that midfield and certainly with their youngsters as well, Rowan. Yeah, well, I reckon one of the things that you'd be most excited about is the fact, uh, look, that was their sixth win of the season. They've won six and a half games now, but four of those wins coming in the last nine games. And during that period, even the ones they've lost, with the exception of the loss, I think, against Fremantle, that was a bit of a stinker down in Tassie. But uh, aside from that, they've been pretty consistent. You know, lost to GWS. uh, Sorry, beat GWS. Only lost to Essendon by a couple of goals. uh, Overpowered eventually by um, Port Adelaide. And uh, the loss to Adelaide, when Adelaide played pretty decent footy. So they've been pretty solid. I think what's more most noticeable, particularly in the last two weeks, is the return to top form of their more senior players. Tom Mitchell, he uh, just makes a habit of racking up the touches against the Pies. I think he's had two plus 50 possession tallies in his previous four games and 44, I think, again in this win today. So really good performance from him. Wingard, good again. And uh, Connor Nash, Again, in the midfield. Now, this is a move that uh, Mitchell really, uh, I guess, started playing in the VFL. And the last two weeks, he's been put in the midfield at senior level and been really impressive. So count another addition to the midfield group there. Scrimshaw, pretty classy customer. Scrimshaw kicked a a lovely left foot goal on the move. Segler pretty decent in the ruck and Blake Hardwick. So some really senior names among the best. And uh, when you add them to quite a lengthy list now of young players who've been introduced and most of whom have shown a bit. I think the signs are pretty positive. I'm I'm going to throw one to you about the Pies because they have been a bit up and down. Um, Pretty exciting performance last week against West Coast. Uh, Not so today. And they found scoring very, very difficult. Just three goals to half time. We're really seeing the inconsistencies of a side that has a fair bit of youth in it now. Well, that's true, but they would be happy that Ginevan hit the scoreboard fairly meaningfully with three goals by final siren time. Henry, certainly a much better player at season's end than the one we saw nervously make his debut at the start of 2021. 
So from that perspective, I think there's been a couple of definite gains. Uh, young Bianco, I guess uh, the weight of football played was why he wasn't playing this weekend. But we can add him to the list of impressive debutants and Polter. And we know that we've got a very impressive Dacos to join Josh Dacos next season. So I think the future for Collingwood in terms of younger players is very encouraging. They certainly need to attract a genuine forward to the club. I think that they can guarantee makes my check your second or third forward. He was pretty good today. But I just get a sense that that forward line has, for the last couple of years, been unattended to in terms of recruiting. And they need a, another player down there to carry the load. Yep, absolutely agree. Uh, well, one thing you can say, both these teams got their work cut out for them next week. The Pies scheduled to play Brisbane. Now, that game scheduled at the Gabba. We don't know where it will be. Uh, we'll probably know in the next couple of days, I suspect. And the Hawks, they are scheduled to play the Western Bulldogs in Launceston. So you'd think that one probably will be played at that venue, but uh, obviously pretty tough challenge there against a side, uh, well, as we record this, still on top of the ladder. So interesting challenges for both those teams next week. Speaking of the Western Bulldogs, they're a feature of the next game we're going to review. The second of three Sunday games was played at Marvel Stadium mid-afternoon. It saw... Co-tenants, Western Bulldogs taking on Essendon. The Western Bulldogs uh, have been very dominant over the Bombers in recent times, won their previous six meetings. Essendon's last victory against the Doggies prior to this clash coming all the way back in 2014. And we saw a major upset and some perhaps pretty significant injury news as well with Essendon emerging triumphant in this contest by 13 points, the Bombers winning 15-7-97 to the Doggies 12-12-84. The goal kickers, and here's one of their headlines, two-metre Peter Wright, a career-best haul of seven goals for him. He could not miss and uh, absolute purple patch at the start of the last quarter, which probably got the Bombers over the line. Two to Aaron Francis, good early up forward, and then singles for Essendon to Draper, Guelphy, McDonald, Tippenwoody, Parrish, Smith, and Waterman. For the Bulldogs, three to Bruce, but, and pretty dramatic stuff, literally in the final seconds of this game, Josh Bruce hurting his knee as we record this, still waiting for scan results, but the suspicion is. It is the full catastrophe, ruptured anterior cruciate ligament, which would mean obviously a reconstruction and not only no Josh Bruce to the finals, but probably no Josh Bruce for the bulk of 2022 as well. So really unfortunate stuff for him there in his 150th game. He kicked three goals before that disaster and singles the rest. Bontempelli, Duray, English, Johannesson, Liberatore, Norton, Trelaw, Hagen, and Wood. Well, finally, the doggies started better, and I think everyone thought the script's being followed here, but a really good second turn by the Bombers. Six goals to three. 
It was four goals to two in the third term. And uh, they had a narrow but holdable lead coming into the last quarter. And Peter Wright then struck. He kicked three of the first goals of that last quarter. Uh, one to Duray in reply. Doggies hit back with a couple of late ones to Bruce and Bontempelli after a perhaps dubious free kick, I might say. But a great win to the Bombers in the end, keeping their finals hopes alive and imperiling the Bulldogs' position at the top of the ladder. How would you see this guy? <laughs> what a spectacular win by the Bombers. Obviously, the big headline is two-metre Peter. And when you kick seven goals in the modern game, you deserve all the plaudits. I thought that the two midfielders that have been so good throughout the year, Merritt and Parrish, were back onto their best form. It's been a bit of a battle for them in recent weeks, but they look fantastic. And I don't know about you, but I, you know, if I was giving the three-two-one, yeah, I'd give three votes to Peter Wright because of the rarity of seven goals. But I reckon I would have given Jordan Ridley my next best on ground. I thought he was in the face of some really stern opposition and uh, fantastic, but also at key times in the game. And I want to put this to you, Rowan. There have been some big wins by the Bobbers this season, but for mine, none better than what they produced in this round 21 clash against the Bulldogs win. Aaron Norton gold at the beginning of the second quarter to put the Dogs, I think, about 19 points up. The best part of three goals in a bit. I thought, well, you know what? If Essendon can summons the strength to make this game even competitive from here on, I'd be impressed, given it's been a long season for that embattled midfield. They did a lot more than that. And, you know, without Heppel and Langford, this was, for mine, the best win of the season. Oh, I agree. Um, they've had other good wins, but uh, perhaps coming up against sides that uh, were not playing that well at the time, Doggies playing really good footy and on top of the ladder. They were certainly down today. I, I was quite taken aback uh, at the lack of defensive pressure. A lot of the time, the Bombers bringing the ball inside 50. The other headline from this game for me is a pretty simple one. It's about efficiency. And we keep talking about it, but Essendon kicked 15-7. The Bulldogs kicked 12-12. So 24 scores to 22. And yet the Bombers have emerged triumphant. They kicked beautifully today. And the Bulldogs hit the post a number of times. And that the uh, proof of the pudding there is the inside 50 count, 60 to the Western Bulldogs, just 39 for the Bombers. I don't reckon too often you see an inside 50 count that lopsided and the side with the lesser tally wins the game. So all about efficiency today. Peter Wright, I mean, gee, I hope it's his coming of age, but he was just so confident, marked beautifully, but he's kicking. He is a lovely kick of the footy, and you can see his confidence rising when he put the first couple through. Great performance by him. Um, Jack McRae, his usual busy self for the doggies, handed up with 38 disposals. Marcus Bontempelli, 34. Not quite the influence we come to expect from him, though, was it? Dale and Williams, pretty handy for them in defence. Libertore, not bad. The other guy I think is worth mentioning for the Dons is uh, Sam Draper in the ruck up against another uh, up-and-coming ruckman, of course, in Tim English. Uh, I thought Draper won the day pretty decisively and I thought it was pretty important for the Bombers. Yeah, fantastic. He's really looked good in the last month, hasn't he? And he is 
uh, grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck type of footballer. And I think a little bit too physical for Tim English, who has that bug bear and I guess cross to bear as he heads into the finals. Rowan, I just want to comment on Adam Trelaw's return, which I thought was encouraging. 20-plus possessions and a goal and certainly not a huge impact on the game. But the Doggies would be pleased that he got through that game. And, of course, how sad to see Josh Bruce imperiled by what looks like an ACL. Great bloke. Much loved at two clubs because he was very much loved at the Saints as well. And fingers crossed, but it does look like, as you call it, the full catastrophe. Yes, and uh, I'll tell you, one man who is absolutely going to have to step up in uh, his absence is the number one draft pick. And I'm not saying that critically, but they are going to need more goals and a more conspicuous presence from him, I think, just to replace what Bruce provides. So uh, big challenge for him. Look, when they, won, when they won the flag in 2016, they're only the 12th highest scoring team in the competition, but their forward potency has been a big part of their armory this year. So it's certainly a challenge for him on that score. Uh, next week's agenda for both these sides. Well, the Bulldogs scheduled <laughs> to go down to Launceston to take on Hawthorne. Essendon scheduled to play Gold Coast at Metricon Stadium. But who knows where that one will be. That could work out quite handily for Essendon as they continue their bid to sneak into that eighth spot on the ladder. At left, one game to be played for the weekend, the eighth of the round, and this one was in Perth. Final game of the weekend at Optus Stadium on Sunday afternoon. It was between Fremantle at uh, the game's commencement, sitting in the eight, and they were up against Brisbane. Very disappointing, the Lions of late. Could they turn it around? Well, could they what? They did so very emphatically, Chris Fagan's team, to end up with a thumping 64-point victory. The final scores in this one, Brisbane 18-10, 118, defeating the Dockers 8 goals, 6, 54. The goal kickers, and boy, they had a lot of multiple goal kickers, seven of them, four to Joe Danaher, three to Cameron, two to Cockatoo, two to Bailey, two to McCarthy, two to McInerney, two to McStay, and a single to Zorko. And for the Dockers, three to Travis Collier and singles to Darcy, Henry, Meek, Tabiner, and Tracy Finey. This was as good as over at halftime. Uh, Brisbane, by that stage, leading by 45 points, having kicked 10 goals to just three. Danaher kicking one right on the halftime siren and the Dockers pretty demoralised as they trudged off the ground at halftime. Their uh, spot in the finals, no more. And a real return to form by the Lions. Perhaps they're not done and dusted as a flag chance yet. How did you see this one? Interesting. With Lockie Neal out with illness, didn't Zorko step up particularly early to put his stamp on the game and Yes, yeah, you said, they had many options up forward. Uh, I've got to say, oh, hey, with McStay, McInerney, McCarthy, all bagging a pair. And a good game by McLuggage as well. We know that they've got plenty of Macs and they enjoy their influence. 
of all the players to get a brace, though, I think the one that was most warmly embraced was Nakia Cocker too. And when he snapped that goal in the last quarter, didn't all the Brisbane players come to the party? You can see he's much loved and much needed in a side that is going to look to find another way to goal with no hip wooden, of course, a season without Rayner. Maybe it'll be the danger at the fall of the ball that is their point of difference. With McCarthy playing so well, Cameron, an omnipresent danger, and now Cocker too. That could be the string in the bow that nobody expected, Rowan. Yes, could be. And uh, certainly good to see them back sort of moving the ball quickly and looking a bit exciting. I felt they've really lost a lot of that flair over the last month or so. Look, I've got to say, uh, and it probably is a bit harsh, but I just don't rate Frio. I saw them sitting in the eight and I thought that won't last long. And look, it was it was more a hunch than on form, obviously, but uh, I was quite confident tipping Brisbane for this game. I just thought they were due to turn it around. Look, Fremantle, credit to Justin Longmuir. They're building. They've still got a lot of young players in that side. They are still very reliant on the Stars, who whose absence makes a huge difference to them. They were able to overcome it last week against Richmond. Not so today against a side that was more switched on than the Tigers were last week. But they're like a, a lesser version of Port Adelaide in that their wins tend to come against sides you'd give them a fairly decent chance against. And their worst losses have come against the best sides in the competition. So... Uh, they're about where they should be, I reckon. Aside uh, on the gradual improve, but still got a fair bit of work to do, I reckon, the Dockers. Well, you know, I pumped up their tyres a fair bit this season, but that win was terrible. Uh, pardon me, that loss was terrible. They, they even dropped percentage-wise below St Kilda after that loss. So, effectively, it's a two-game loss. And at this stage of the season, that consigns them to no finals in 2021. No excuses there. They got a little bit out of Chera in the midfield. Of course, Mundy's had a great season. He got some of the ball. But where were the other players to put their hands up? You mentioned Collier there in the goal kickers. He's done well to hold his spot in the team, the former Don. And three goals to him was a decent return. But they got nothing else from more senior players that should have come to the party in this important game. So I can understand the people who are dubious when it comes to Fremantle's credentials as a finals team saying, I told you so. Well, I just feel like the the bottom few players in that side, they're, they're just bit players at best. Some of them are, I mean, who are we talking about today? Uh, Mitch Croden, for example, eight disposals for him. Lockie Schultz, look, he, he has been pretty decent, I reckon, but eight disposals for him today. Well, no, well he's a good case in point. Mm. He was a match winner against Richmond, mm. and you think that would be the sort of impetus for a player who has always been in the bottom six to gain some confidence and play a really meaningful role for the remainder of the season. But he, unfortunately, uh, sort of drifted back to type, didn't he? So I think he's a good one to point the finger at. Well, and in terms of more experienced types, what about Nathan Wilson? Uh, you know, highly rated running defender. Do they get enough out of him? He touched the footy six times today. You know? I reckon half of that would have been kick-ins, Rowan. Yeah, so uh, still a fair bit of list management to be done there. Brisbane looking more and more like they might still have a bit to say this final series. Uh, what happens next week for these teams? Well, Brisbane scheduled to play Collingwood at the Gabba. Let's see what happens with that one. Who knows where that one will be? 
and the Dockers. Well, it's a massive game for them, of course. It's the Derby. I've learned to say it properly, so West Australians don't jump all over me. Another Derby against West Coast. Of course, the record in that in recent times has been pretty miserable and huge stakes of both these teams in terms of the top eight. So that game should be an absolute ripper. Frio about to play their third one in a row at Optus Stadium. All right, that was the eighth of eight games played on Sunday, of course. West Coast playing Melbourne on Monday evening, and we will bring you a comprehensive summary and analysis of that game in our next episode on Wednesday. But for now, Fidey, we haven't done yet because we still have the best part of the review show. That's the part, if you're wondering what that noise was, where we rev ourselves up and get pretty damn angry. On Footyology... The Rant Off. All right, Finey, uh, I did allude to this at the start of the show. Uh, Jordan Clark and friends and family might want to avert their ears for a little bit. I've had a bee in my bonnet ever since this happened on Friday evening, and uh, I can't let it go. So I thought it was time to devote this week's rant to the topic. Will you please count me in? Before I count you in, can I tell you something? I've got a, a great friend, Paulie Moon, and he's originally from WA, and he went to school with Jordan Clark's dad. He listens to our podcast religiously, so you are going to be speaking to at least <laughs> one friend of Jordan Clark's. All right. Well, I apologise in advance, and uh, look, it's nothing. <laughs> it's nothing personal. So count me in. Okay, <laughs> that's good. Three, two, give it to him. I'm pissed off with every bloody player in the AFL trying to be Stevie Johnson, Finey. No, I don't mean by breaking both their ankles, trying to jump the fence to get into a Torquay pub, nor being arrested for public drunkenness, failing to tell the club about it, getting suspended indefinitely by your teammates, then returning late of the same season as a Norm Smith medal-winning superstar. The first bit of that equation anyone can do with a skinful under their belts. The second bit takes a considerable amount of ability which is sort of my point here. I'm talking, of course, about the now very fashionable round-the-corner kick for goal from a set shot. Now, Stevie J made it look easy, but Stevie J made everything look easy. I'm told even that leap from the top of the fence at that Torquay pub was the stuff of drunken poetry. We're talking about one of the most naturally gifted players of football history. Johnson could make the ball talk. Not everyone can. Harry Hilmerberg can't. So when he lines up a gimme goal 20 metres out from side on and misses like he did against Geelong on Friday night, there's as good a chance he's going to hit it too skinny as he has of kicking the sort of regulation drop punt we've all been taught since we were about five. As for Jordan Clark, well, he's probably still having nightmares about missing a shot from even closer and straighter in front in the last quarter, which conceivably cost his side the game because he hit the belly of the ball and put it, instead of through the post, in the top deck of the Geelong grandstand. I keep hearing that players are now routinely kicking around the corner instead of regulation shots because they're more comfortable with it. But if the kick you're going to try can be mishit just as easily as your standard drop punt, shouldn't they instead be asking just why they fear a shot at goal from point blank range that if they're in general play, they'd make with their eyes shut? The drop punt became the standard kick in the game for good reason, Finey. It spins predictably. And guess what? 
there is a decent margin for error. You cannot hit it dead straight and there's still a fair chance it'll go vaguely in the direction you intended. I'd suggest that if you've spent your entire football life kicking it, as always guys at AFL level have, your chances of kicking it properly are still better than those of converting from a technique you don't use in general play or even at training unless you're having a set shot. Imagine a player suddenly developed an aversion to tackling or any sort of physical contact. His coaches would have a chat, do some basic practice routines involving those bits of the game and restore their confidence. They wouldn't have them shirk the issue by avoiding that part of the game altogether. So why look at set shots for goal any differently? We've clearly got some major issues in the game with goal kicking. Football has never been more inaccurate than it has over the last couple of months of this season. A team spending more time on goal kicking as a result? It doesn't appear so. And given that the game is apparently played so much above the shoulders, I'd also suggest the players with the yips seeing their teammates treating the prospect of kicking for goal from straight in front 20 metres out like they're being made to walk the plank probably isn't helping. If I see a player in my team close enough to goal and from closer to dead in front hesitate to use a kick he does 20 times a game, just because there's a couple of white posts in front of him, I'm thinking here's a guy who lacks confidence and who has a fair chance to freeze up in any given situation. I reckon kicking around his body is going to mean exactly the same chance of him getting the yips as he's likely to get with a drop punt and the position he's standing in has bugger all to do with it. I reckon Stevie J would have kicked that shot at goal on Friday night, even with both those ankles broken, Finey. And I reckon Clark probably would have too if he'd just calmly gone back run straight in and kick the same way 400-odd other kicks were taken in the same game. Uh, you're certainly channeling Jason Dunstall there, but I know you've been hot on it. You wouldn't have enjoyed St Kilda versus Sydney then because both Dean Kent and Jack Higgins had kicks from the top of the goal square that they kicked around the corner. I don't get it. You cannot tell me there is less margin for error with that kick than with a regulation drop punt when you're that close to goal. Anyway, I've said my bit. Jason Dunstall said his bit. We're both on the case. All right, are you ready to rant finally? It's almost my kicking off point for my bit, but you'll you'll soon get the picture. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, rant. If they say it ain't broke, don't fix it. But if it is broke, fix it. How about goal kicking? Haven't I been told that this is the most inaccurate season of all time? And while they're fixing things, how about the match review officer and the tribunal to make sure that Joel Selwood doesn't get off three times a season? And talk about things that are broken. How about those little plastic cups filled with fruit, like mandarin segments in syrup? Every time you open it, a little bit of the syrup spills out. It's very annoying. Fix the price of petrol. Fix the football commentary team on Channel 7. And surely technology lets us have parking metres that give change. I mean, it is 2021. Can't you fix pool cleaners that actually clean the bottom of the pool without getting stuck and stop working? Fix the vaccine rollout, for God's sake. And while you're at it, fix conspiracy theorists. And by fixing, I mean neuter so they can't breed. Fix the St Kilda Football Club, for goodness sake. And the ever-shrinking size of wagon wheels. Fix eggs. Why don't they have double yokers anymore? Fix the toilet flush. It doesn't save water if you've got a flush two or three times and fix the intentional out-of-bounds rule. Fix the VFL and treat it with respect so it isn't a plaything for the AFL. 
And fix how much my dog's poo. So I'm not constantly picking it up. Fix the amount of chock fudge in a McDonald's hot fudge sundae. The correct ratio is 60 to 40. And put more jam in footy donuts while you're at it. Fix Patrick Cripps' body so he's back to playing the way footy's the way he should be. He's an elite footballer, for God's sake. Fix Australian TV so we don't have holy moly. Farmer wants a wife, the bachelor, the bachelorette or whatever. Fix up fish and chip shops so it's compulsory that they have to have a pinball machine. It gives me something to do while I'm waiting for my fish and chips. Fix, the, fix up the incorrect disposal rule. No more throwing the ball. The game's looking like rugby. Fix parking signs that look like bloody hieroglyphics so I'm always getting fined. Fix up Rita Panahy. Fix up kids so they play more sport and less video games. Fix up social media so it's not so toxic. And fix up radio so I'm not hearing the same eight songs on rotation when I'm on FM. Fix up the pet laws so I can get a miniature donkey. And fix the ice cream cabinet at the supermarket or at the petrol station. I don't want to pay six bucks for a connoisseur ice cream. I want to pay a dollar for a sunny boy or a glug. And fix the week off before the finals. Roko's right. And fix me because the older I get, the grumpier I'm getting. <laughs> that was that was a very very impressive catalogue of things to fix, and uh, one of them, of course, uh, can I just ask that that one be fixed retrospectively, going back to about two thousand and four? That would be uh, a load off my shoulders, indeed. That was great, Fanny, because uh, when I was indulging in what I ranted about on Friday night, I got the uh, inevitable old man yells at cloud. Uh, gif or meme so uh, I don't know what you get for that is it old man yells at impending cyclone because that was a very very healthy compilation of things to be pissed off about that is the true essence of the rant off I think two old men yelling fairly incoherently about stuff over which they have zero control there is is one there that I think people will find very unusual and which one's that the pet laws, so I can get a miniature donkey. <laughs> okay. All right. you've, got, you've got to look up miniature donkeys. My God, they're cute. All right, we'll see what we can do and uh, see if we can get you your donkey, miniature donkey license. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, <laughs> this is getting into the realms of the uh, monkeys riding the greyhounds, but we won't go there again, the chimpanzees. Anyway, one game left for this round, of course, which we will cover off on in our midweek preview episode next week. We just like to keep things regular around here. You know, when you're older, you like to keep it regular. That's what we do on the Footyology podcast. Uh, Thanks again to Palmerbet, our official Footyology podcast partners. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. What about our other wonderful sponsors, Finey? No need to fix Andrew's hamburgers at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park there. Perfect, just the way they are. And if you want to fix up your house or even build a new one, get to West Point Properties. Nick Spartel's in the team will do all the fixing you could imagine. And if you want to fix up your stats, I don't know that quite works, that analogy. But anyway, they are great stats and you can see them all at Stats Insider, the best sports data analyst. In the business, they work with a range of more than 15 sports globally and sample events more than 10,000 times to give you the best range of outcomes. Some quality, independent sports journalism on their site as well. So check it out, statsinsider.com.au. Give them a follow on Twitter 
at Stats Insider. All right, that's it for the show. Of course, you can support us as usual on the supporter page wherever you're listening to this podcast or become an official Footyology patron at Patreon and the links all over the Footyology website, footyology.com.au. Some great reading there. And not just footy, we have politics, entertainment, social commentary, you name it. You might even find a piece about miniature donkeys if you're really lucky or if Finey can ever get off his ass and write something for the website. Uh, <laughs> thanks, everyone. We'll see you next Wednesday.